Well, good morning, folks. Hey, why don't you grab your Bibles and turn with me to uh, Psalm 98. So if you don't have your own Bible, grab a Bible in the pew, pew back in front of you and uh, turn to the book of Psalms. Uh, pretty easy to find. Right in the middle of your Bible is the book of Psalms. And uh, we're going to read together Psalm 98 as we get ready for uh, part two of the gospel according to Christmas carols. Taking a look at, uh, once again, one of my favorite Christmas carols, Joy to the World. So Psalm 98, I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you stand with me as we uh, read God's Word together? So please stand in honor of God's Word. If you are able, Psalm 98. Trust that you're there close to it. Let's read together. Sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation and revealed His righteousness to the nations. He has remembered His love and His faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp. With the harp and the sound of singing with trumpets. And the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world And all who live in it, let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. And that is a reading of God's holy word. Would you please be seated? Well, I want to begin this morning by telling you a little story about a man by the name of Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts. Um, Isaac Watts lived in the 15th and 16th century. Now, at a young age, he showed signs of, uh, well, nothing less than pure genius. So, for example, he was learning uh, the language of Latin by age, are you ready? By age four. So, any of you four-year-olds, right? How do you have four-year-olds? Just Let's get them into the Latin. At age 9, he was learning Greek. At age 11, he had almost mastered the Hebrew language. So, needless to say, he was a very smart guy. But not only was he brilliant, but he had an uncanny knack for language and for rhyme and for rhythm. And so the story is told of a time when he was about 6 or 7. And his uh, father was leading the family before dinner in a, in a prayer uh, around the dinner table. And young Isaac, well, he opened his eyes during his father's prayer, and he happened to to see a little mouse. There was a little mouse that scurried up a rope that they had uh, hanging from the second story of their house going down to the first story. And this little mouse, well, it just ran right up the rope. And of course, he was, well, he was tickled. And so he started to giggle and sort of laugh during prayer time. Now, his father was a pretty strict man. And uh, he, let's just say he didn't appreciate the fact that his son was laughing during prayer time. So he asked his son, Isaac, why were you laughing during family prayer time? To which uh, young Isaac responded, A little mouse, for want of stairs, ran up the rope to say his prayers. <laughs> uh, his father was not amused. <laughs> and so his father said, Go get the switch, or whatever. You know, he was going to give him a spanking. And of course, uh, young Isaac uh, bursted out, cry, cried out, Father, Father, pity take, and I no more will verses make. <laughs> 
Get it? <laughs> Please don't spank me. I'll stop the rhyming, right? And so he was smart, and he had, he had a thing for, for rhyming. In fact, he went on, went on as an adult to write over 750 hymns. 750 hymns. In fact, some of the most well-known English hymns, like At the Cross, or When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, was written by this man, Isaac Watts. Now, he was... Uh, known as sort of the pioneer, the father of the modern English hymn. And, and what you what you don't know about the story, and I'll try to make this brief, is that he was a a, a maverick in the music industry for the churches in the in the 15th century. See, what the churches would do back then is they would only read uh, sing tunes that were uh, directly from the Psalms. And so, when you went to church and you went to sing, you would read the scriptures word for word, and there would be music uh, put to the Psalms. And uh, and so the story is told of one day. Um, about a 15-year-old Isaac Watts, he, he, he got home from church and he, he was complaining to his dad. He said, Dad, the music at church is downright boring. Now, I know none of you ever, ever think that when you leave this church, but he said, Dad, the music is just downright boring. And so his dad said, well, son, why don't you do something about that? Why don't you, why don't you do something about that? And so uh, he went on to do that. Um, he went on to write many, many hymns and, and, and great carols, and he was sort of uh, quite the controversial figure. So one of the songs, of course, that he wrote is the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. Joy to the World. In fact, it was found in a little hymn book, and I'd like to show you a picture here, uh, a little uh, hymn book that was meant to be sort of a, a, a church song book called the Psalms of David imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. Wow, that's a long title for a hymn book, right? But, but he, he wrote this, uh, this, this hymn book, and what he did is he looked at the Psalms, and he wrote carols, hymns, if you will, based off of the Psalms, in particular, based off of some of the Psalms that were messianic, that pointed ahead towards the coming of Christ. Now, I want you to look right here in the middle. You see there in the middle, Psalm 98. It says Psalm 98, a second part. Here we have joy to the world. See, joy to the world is Isaac Watts' song about Psalm 98. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let the earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And so on and so forth. And so, friends, what I'm trying to say as we get started with this Christmas carol is that Joy to the World, in actuality, was not written to be a Christmas carol. Did you know that? It wasn't written to be a Christmas carol, and yet, you know, history and tradition, well, here it is. We sing it at Christmas time. So just consider it for a moment. Um, does, the, does the song Joy to the World ever mention Mary? Does the, does the carol ever mention Joseph or the shepherds? Or the angels? Or the wise men? Does, does it ever mention baby Jesus or the manger? Well, no, it doesn't, right? And it's because, well, Psalm 98 is really not meant to be about the first coming of Christ. And so the question then becomes, as we look at this Christmas carol that we sing at Christmas time, is if it's not about the birth of Christ, what did Isaac Watts intend joy to the world to actually be about? Well, I would contend that he meant it to be about not the first coming of Christ, but the second coming of Christ. The return of Christ 
to the earth to establish his eternal kingdom. And so as we work our way through this beloved Christmas carol, I see three reasons this carol gives us for joy to the world. See, there can be joy to the world, number one, because the king is coming. The king is coming in verse 1. There can be joy to the world because the Savior will reign, verse 2. And there can be joy to the world because the curse will end, verse 3. So let's begin with verse 1. Joy to the world, Isaac Watts writes, because the king is coming. The carol begins by calling heaven and nature to what? To sing, right? Let heaven and nature sing because the king, well, the king has come, right? And so the very familiar words, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let the earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing and heaven and heaven and heaven and nature sing. So Watts begins his song by telling us by portraying a time yet future when the world will be full of joy. Why? Because the Lord is come. Because the Lord has come. Next, he calls upon those on the earth at the return of Christ to raise their voices and to sing and to have joy and to receive their king with joy. Let the earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room And so we see verse 1 ends this way. It ends with an appropriate response, right? What is the appropriate response for people at the return of Christ? Well, the appropriate response is that of joy, right? Is that of of worship. Let let heaven and nature sing. And so if you have your Bible open, and I hope you do, we're going to take a look at Psalm 98. We're going to take a look at Psalm 98. But before we do that, we're going to offer a prayer. Um, because I've just been made aware of, there's, there's a little situation in the back, is there not? Okay. Um, what, who, who is that? Can I ask? Who's having issues? Carolee, do you know? Okay, that's fine. That's fine. We're going to pray, because I don't know what's going on back there, but we're going to pray, and I see that there are well-qualified trained men back there. So, not to disrupt you, but I'm disrupted, so... <laughs> So can we do that, church? Can we pray for for what's going on? Okay, we'll do that. Father, we pray now in this moment that you would give grace to uh, this person who is uh, is struggling. There is a health issue. We don't know what is happening, but Lord, you absolutely know what is happening. And you are in control. Father, we ask now that you would give uh, health and and, and restoration. We pray that uh, whatever symptoms are being um, felt and experienced at this moment, that, Lord, your hand would be upon uh, this person and that you would uh, protect uh, him or her. Father, I pray for those that are tending to them right now that you would show kindness and that you would be uh, uh, gracious to them. Give them wisdom. Help them to know the appropriate response. And so, Father, we pray for our brother or sister at this moment, even now as we uh, are are considering this uh, wonderful Song, Joy to the World. Lord, we just ask that, that, that you would be involved in this time, both in here as we ponder your word and out there. And so, Father, we ask for your mercy and for your grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Okay. Well, if you have your, your Bible open, let's take a look at Psalm 98. Because what I want to show you is that the first verse of Joy to the World is taken from Psalm 98, particularly verses 4, 6, 
innate. And so joy to the world, right? And and heaven and nature sing. Let's take a look at verse 4, where the psalmist says these words. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. With trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. And so the question then becomes, why is all the earth to, to shout and sing for joy, right? Why, why should we praise the Lord in this way? Well, I think the answer is revealed in verse 9. As the psalmist writes, for he comes, referring to God specifically, future Jesus, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. And so why is there joy made available in the world, because the king, Isaac Watts says, the king is coming. If you want to take a look on the screen behind me, we'll see in Revelation 19, we get this picture of the return of the Lord to the earth. Verse 11, John writes, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. And so Isaac Watts paints this picture. He looks ahead to the day when Jesus Christ will come out of heaven to the earth. And he says, this is reason for joy. So why is the return of Christ a source of joy for me and you? Why, as we ponder during this Advent season, as we ponder the return of Christ, why does that give us joy? Well, many, many reasons, but the the reason I want us to focus on here is that at the return of Christ, we who follow Christ will be with Christ forever. The one whom we love, the the one whom we have given our lives to, the one we long to be with. The day will finally be when we will be with him and the saints forever. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes about the return of Christ. And he says this in verse 17. He says, After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then he adds this little phrase. Do you see it there? He says, And so we will be with the Lord. How long, church? Forever, right? We will be with the Lord forever. And so the sure return of Christ, which Isaac Watts paints in verse 1, should cause us to have an eager sense of expectation, uh, anticipation, longing to be with the one whom we love. In fact, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, We eagerly await. We eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, many of you know that when I was in college, I had um, a, a dog. His name was Dexter. And uh, I've spoken of him before. He was a little cocker spaniel, you know, with the flappy ears. Very cute dog. I uh, thought it might help me attract some women. Well, that didn't, ha- didn't happen when I had the little dog, right? Uh, but he was cute, and he was a good companion. Um, and he just would wait and wait for me. Now, the dog wasn't what did it for Shelly. I just want to clear that, right? No dog involved. It was, it was all of this, okay? That's what it was. <laughs> But we digress. So I would come back, I would come back, and I'd pull the car into the drive, and he would hear me, right? He'd hear the car, and the door would slam, and I'd see his little head pop up, right, uh, over the window, 
and he'd see that it was me, and then he'd come, and I, I, I'd hear him at the door, right? He'd scratch at the door, right, with his paws. He couldn't wait to get to me, because um, I was a great master, I suppose. And so I'd open the door, and he would jump on me, and he would lick me, and he would run around in circles as excited dogs do. And I don't know if you know this about Cocker Spaniels, but they are known for having a little bit of a loose bladder. And so uh, from time to time, I would be greeted with uh, uh, urine on my shoes, right? And so that's just how I knew he loved me, right? You're in on the shoes. It's a good day, right? He would eagerly await my return. Friends, if a dog waits for his human master to return in such a manner, how much more should blood-bought saints of our Lord Jesus Christ wait in eager anticipation for the day of his return? So in verse 1, joy to the world. Isaac Watts writes, why? Because the king is coming again. But not only that, in verse 2, we see that there is joy to the world, not only because Jesus will return, but because upon his return, he will rule. He will reign. He will establish a kingdom on the earth, and that kingdom will never end. If you have your Bible open, and I hope you still do, if you will turn just one page over to Psalm 96. Psalm 96, because what we see in Psalm 96 is that Isaac Watts sort of uh, draws from this uh, this psalm pretty heavily. So in Psalm 96, we, we get verse 2. Joy to the world, because the Savior will reign. Well, the verse begins, right? Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Well, what then is the appropriate response to the, to the reign of Christ upon the earth? Well, he says, let men their songs employ. Now, this first line of verse 2 is a summary of the psalmist's call in verse, uh, verses 7 through 10 of Psalm 96. For the nations of the earth to sing for joy because the Lord reigns. So take a look at verse 7, Psalm 96. The psalmist writes, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. And so in the first half of this verse, he, he picks, up a, uh, picks up on this idea that there will be a day when the nations will cry out, the Lord reigns and he rules over all the earth. In the second half of the verse, he calls upon all creation to repeat the sounding joy, right? To repeat this joyful refrain that the nations are offering to Christ the King while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains do what? Repeat the sounding joy. Notice Psalm 96, as we continue, let the, let the heaven rejoice, the psalmist says. Let the heaven rejoice. Let the, let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the, of the forest sing for joy. And so we see here in verse 2, there is a reason for joy. Not only is there joy to the world because Christ is coming back, but Watt says joy to the world because this Christ who is coming back, he will someday reign. He will rule in his kingdom on this earth. And of course we get a picture of that in the book of Revelation in several places, but, but in particular chapter 11. If you'll follow on the screen behind me, chapter 11, verse 15, we see at the the blowing of the seventh trumpet judgment, there are voices in heaven, and they cry out in anticipation of Christ's imminent rule. And they say this, The kingdom of the world has has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Messiah, and He will what, church? 
and he will reign. He will reign forever and ever. So why then will the, will the, the rule and the reign of Christ be a time of great joy? Well, there are many reasons. I just want to articulate three reasons that we see in the scriptures. What will the rule and reign of Christ on this earth be like? Well, well three things, if you will. Number one, the reign of Christ will bring unprecedented righteousness. Unprecedented righteousness. In other words, his rule, his kingdom, will be a kingdom of truth and of justice and of righteousness. I want to show you a quick, a quick clip here. It's from, well, what is my favorite movie, my favorite Christmas movie. And uh, it is, yes, Elf. Okay, so don't, don't judge here. My favorite Christmas movie is Elf. And so Buddy the Elf realizes in this scene that, that the Santa Claus in the department store, well, it's not the Santa that he knows. And so this is how he responds. Talking about Santa Claus. No, you're not. Uh, why, of course I am. <laughs> if you're Santa, what song did I sing for you on your birthday this year? Uh, happy birthday, of course. <laughs> so, uh, how old are you, son? Oh, you're a big boy. What's your name? Paul. And uh, what can I Paul, get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. Let the kid talk. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. You sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? No, he's kidding. You stink. I think you're going to have a good Christmas, all right? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay. <laughs> <gasps> he's an imposter! Okay, and the melee ensues, right? Um, so uh, this morning in Sunday school, Bud asked us to share what was one of our favorite lines from our favorite Christmas movie. And uh, I didn't get to share it, but, but that's it. it. It's in this scene where Buddy the Elf says to Santa, you sit on a throne of lies. You sit on a, in other words, your, your rule is marked by falsehood, right? It's marked by untruth. You know, I think a lot uh, of presidents and dictators and rulers, both today and throughout the, throughout the ages, um, you could say the same of their rule, right? You, you sit on a throne of lies. In other words, their rule, their kingdom is marked by injustice. It's marked by selfishness. It's marked by pride. It's, it's marked by, by wickedness. And yet, friends, when Jesus returns to the earth, his rule will be marked by justice and righteousness. For, for example, Isaiah chapter 11 Verses 4 and 5 say this, But with righteousness he will judge the needy, and with justice he will give decisions to the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Friends, do you long for a world? Do you long for a time when the leaders of, uh, of the nations and, and the leaders of the world will be true and faithful and just? Friends, I do, and it will happen when Christ returns. Not only will his rule be marked by unprecedented righteousness, but it will bring about a time of universal worship, universal worship. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, reads this way. Many peoples will come and say, Let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the, to the temple of the God of Zion. He will teach us his ways so that we can walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, and the word 
uh, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so there will be a, a, a time of glorious worship where Christ the King will be worshipped and adored. But friends, it will also be a time of unprecedented peace. Unprecedented peace. We think of the idea often around Christmas time, how great it would be if there was world peace, right? Well, friends, there will be a time when literally there will be world peace because Jesus will rule on his throne in Jerusalem. We get uh, this vivid description again from Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many nations. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So joy to the world, Isaac Watts says. Joy to the world because the king is coming, and joy to the world because his kingdom will never end, and it will be marked with justice and righteousness and peace. But there is a third reason, and we see it in verse 3 of this carol. Joy to the world because the curse will end. Joy to the world because the curse will end. So we are familiar, I think, with the idea of curses in this part of the world, in particular if you are a, a sports fan. And so I want to show a picture. Maybe some of you, you know, might uh, not like it. But, oh, are we familiar with curses around here? Cubs fans? Yes, we are. You know the story, right? During the 1945 World Series, the Cubs are facing the Detroit Tigers and longtime Cubs fan and owner of the famous Billy Goat Tavern came to the World Series game like he always did uh, with, of course, his pet goat, which you see there. However, during this game, for some reason, uh, people began to complain that the goat smelled. Imagine that. And so Wrigley officials said, hey, get out of here, right? Take your goat and go home. Well, as the story goes, he sent a telegram to the Chicago Cubs saying they would never again win the World Series. And so the team was cursed until when? 2016, right? You guys should know that. 2016, the curse was finally broken, right? The curse came to an end. Friends, there is a greater curse in this world than the billy goat curse, right? And we see it in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3. And so um, Isaac Watts sort of takes a bit of a uh, a bit of an audible, if you will. Instead of taking uh, uh, truth from the Psalms, he in, in this verse he takes Genesis chapter three and Revelation twenty two, and he talks about how when the, the the Christ returns, that the curse will be broken. Just think about the lyrics, right? What does he write? No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. How far? As far as the curse is found, right? As far as the curse is found. So in Genesis 3, we read about this curse, at least in part, uh, God's curse of Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So friends, God curses this world. He says it's not going to be easy for you anymore. And what is, uh, if you will, sort of the worst part of the curse? He says, hey, Adam, I made you out of dust. And where are you going to end up? As dust. In the ground, right? Death was introduced into our existence. It was not a part of God's design. And so here Isaac Watts sings of a day when that curse will be no more, right? We are also familiar with the curse from this movie, 
Beauty and the Beast, right? You know this, the familiar story, right? There is a, a young prince, and he rules over a kingdom and in this castle, but he's cruel. And so this witch visits him, and he's not nice to her. And so she puts a curse on him, right? And turns him into a what? To a beast, and his servants are, you know, like objects, right? And, and the castle is changed. His world is cursed until he could show love for another person. And of course, we know sort of how the story goes there. But his whole world, his person was changed, right? It was, he was degraded. He was cursed to live a life that, well, he was still himself, but he wasn't who he was supposed to be. Friends, in a similar vein, God's curse on me and you in Genesis 3 brought change into this world that was not meant to be a part of God's original design, right? We are not who God intended us to be. The world is not as God intended it to be. Our natures are fallen. Death happens. We are rebellious at heart. We are depraved. Death has entered into this world with pain and sorrow and struggle. But friends, Watts in verse 3 sees a day when all of that will end. And he draws that image not only from Genesis 3, but from Revelation 22, verse 3. You see it on the screen there. No longer... Here John describes the eternal state after Jesus Christ's return. He says, No longer in that state will there be any curse. No more curse, right? The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. Back in chapter 21, we get a a depiction of what life will be like in the kingdom of Christ, what life will be like when the curse is no more. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Beloved, we can have great joy because Christ will one day come. Don't you long for the day when sins will no longer grow? Friends, don't you long for that day? I long for that day in my life. I long for that day in my children's life. I long for that day in our country and on our world when there will be no longer any sin, right? No more rebellion. No more foolishness. Sorrows will no longer grow. When our very bodies will be resurrected to be as God designed for us to be. No more sin, right? No more pain. No more death. Friends, there will be a day upon Christ's return in His kingdom when you and I will never ever attend a funeral ever again. Right? Ever. Because death will be no longer. Right? Death will be put to death. There will be no more tears, but tears of joy. Right? No more will we live in a sin-cursed world of toil and futility. No. This, friends, if this is not a reason for joy, then I don't know what is. Right? Joy to the world because Christ is coming. Joy to the world because the Savior reigns. And Watts says in verse 3, Joy to the world because someday... The, uh, the curse of sin will be no, lo- no longer. So we're going to wrap this up and we're going to sing joy to the world <clears throat> to close out our service here. But before we do that, I just want to close with this thought. <clears throat> if joy to the world really is not the, about the advent of Christ, but it's about the second coming of Christ, why do we sing it at Christmas time? Should we sing it at Christmas time? My answer is a resounding yes. Yes, we should. Yes, we should. Because here's the, here's the reason why. Because there is no second coming without a what? A first coming, right? There's no first advent 
Unless, uh, second advent, unless it was the first, right? And his first advent, friends, is a historical guarantee that what? Well, as the angel says, you will see him coming back to the earth just as you saw him go, right? So, friends, we still live in a cursed world where brokenness and bitterness and sin and strife grow. And, friends, many of us experience that kind of world um, even more so around the holidays, It can be a hard time for people, right? But this carol points us in hope to the day when that will be no longer, right? This song is all about the fulfillment, ultimately, of what, of why Christ came in the first place as a baby in Bethlehem, right? And so should we sing it at Christmas time? Yes, we should sing it at Christmas time. Christmas time is not only a time to look back at the grace accomplished for us in the past, but it's a time for us to look what? To look forward for the grace that will be accomplished for us in the future. And so when we sing these songs, these words, joy to the world, we are proclaiming the ultimate joy yet to be revealed. And so I'm going to pray. Worship team's going to come, and we're going to sing. So would you pray with me, church? Father, once again, we pray for this person who is needing uh, and is hurting. And uh, we don't know the situation, and you do. Lord, please be with them. And Father, help us to be in prayer. Lord, we're grateful for this wonderful uh, Christmas carol and for Psalm 98 and Psalm 96 and Genesis 3 and Revelation 22, which points us towards the the second coming of your Son and what joy it will give us. So help us now to sing it with uh, a renewed sense of expectation and joy, we pray. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen.